Hello, humans. Hello, 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 humans of the Twin Cities, of Minnesota, of the world. Hello. Welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. I am your host for the next hour, Ellie Krug. That would be me. Hopeless Idealist. That's what our show is about. Hopeless Idealist. That's in my official biography. So we have a phenomenal show. Phenomenal show. And by the way, I'm not even supposed to be here. The show is so good. It's bring, it's brought me out of being on my mini sabbatical because I'm not supposed to be doing any work in uh, July other than writing my book, which I'll talk to you about in my last, my C block on this show. But you know what? There's some stuff going on. I just had to come out of the mini sabbatical in order to deal with. So we have a really, really great show. Um, um, I, the, I'm going to talk... Uh, one of our uh, I, the the theme for our show, although I don't pick it up in the C block, is about is about speaking out to religious power, about being idealistic, about speaking against religious oppression. Excuse me, really is what we're talking about here. Um, and and uh, uh, just so you know, the big interview is with Doctor, excuse me, Reverend Dan Cullison from First Covenant Church in Minneapolis. You may have heard about him recently in the news. Him and his church—they've been defrocked by the denomination that they were a part of um, because because uh, they want to protect LGBTQ people. Can you believe that? <laughs> And so I've, I, so it's a great interview, and so, you know, what an idealist, let me tell you, okay? Um, but, to you know, in the first block, I always feature another idealist, some other idealist, and, and today we're going to do something different because I'm not featuring an idealistic human. I'm featuring an idealistic church, or excuse me, school, an idealistic school, an idealistic entity, and so I want to talk about the Brebruf, um, it's B-R-E-B-R-B-U-E-F, Brebruf Jesuit um, Preparatory High School near Indianapolis. Um, perhaps you have heard this story, but here are the particulars. Uh, Brebruf um, is, has about 800 students, half of whom are not Catholic, uh, about 130 staff members, um, and... Uh, in 2017, um, a very well-regarded uh, teacher at Brebruf um, was married um, in a same-sex marriage ceremony. Didn't take place at the tr- at the school. It didn't take place with any of the people at Brebruf officiating or anything like that. And in fact, there was no formal announcement about that marriage. However, <clears throat> we know how social media works. And word of that marriage, that teacher at Brebruf um, becoming married to another um, teach another human of the same gender. And, and by the way, I don't know whether we're talking about men or women because they've been protecting the identity of this teacher at the school. I, so I don't know if it's lesbian or gay men. Uh, uh, if it's a lesbian or a gay man at Brebruf who's the subject of this. But at any rate, word of that of that marriage got out on social media. And I suspect that there are people with strong Catholic faith who are simply scouring social media for such things. Um, and uh, Brebruf is run by the Midwest province of the Society of Jesus. That would mean Jesuit. You've heard me speak in the past about, um, you know, I'm a former Catholic, I'm now Buddhist, okay? Um, 
And but you but I went to a Catholic law school, um, a Jesuit law school, Boston College Law School. <clears throat> and let me just tell you, I hold the Jesuits in really high regard. Okay, so I'm not at all surprised that we have this problem um, involving the Jesuits. Okay, um, but you may have also read in the news that the um, archdiocese uh, that includes Indianapolis um, has already twice. Um, uh, ordered the firing of gay teachers in Catholic schools. Okay, so this thing involving Braybroof is the third attempt by the Archdi- the Indianapolis Archdiocese. And they've got a, a, apparently an archbishop there who's um, pretty adamant uh, that, that there'll be no LGBTQ people in our schools uh, uh, teaching. Of course, the, maybe that person, it's a man, of course, believes that there are no such thing as LGBTQ people in the schools either. But anyway, so this is the third in a line of attempted firings. The other two were successful. But the Jesuits at Brebroof have said, no, we're not going to fire this person. By the way, since 2007, in at least 80 occasions across the world, um, the Catholic Church has um, ordered the firing of gay teachers, gay um, people um, within Catholic schools, okay? So uh, when the Archbishop of Indianapolis, um, a man named Charles Thompson, took sight on Brebroof, he did it so with the rationale that the school was not acting in accord with the doctrine and pastoral practices of the Catholic Church, the school's response was that they're Jesuits <laughs> and have authority. And, and as Jesuits, they don't answer to the archdiocese as it relates to lower level employment matters. Um, and in fact, uh, they pointed out that this teacher at Braybroof, who's very well regarded, um, doesn't teach religion um, or or campus ministry. I mean, we're just maybe talking about somebody who teaches history, um, something like that. Okay, and the Jesuits at Brebroof called Archbishop Thompson's efforts unprecedented. Um, his efforts at controlling Brebroof after fifty-seven years of of having a collective partnership. So, first time in fifty-seven years that the Archbishop has decided that he's going to order the firing of a Brebroof um, team member. Uh, the um, Braybroof issued a statement saying, "We quote, we felt that we could not in conscience dismiss the teacher from employment, period, unquote. I love, it's the Jesuits talking about conscience. I just love it. But I've got another quote from them, um, from Braybroof. And so here's also how they responded to the bishop. Quote, what's more, We also recognize the harm that adhering to this mandate, that is the mandate of the bishop to fire the the, uh, teacher, would cause our highly capable, the harm that it would cause our highly capable and qualified teachers and staff as an institution with a mission to develop men and women for others. Our intent has been to do the right thing by the people we employ while presenting excuse me, while preserving our authority as an independent Catholic Catholic Jesuit school, period, unquote. You got to love it. The Jesuits are saying, look, 
you know, we're trying to shape humans here, okay? And actually, we're trying to shape them in, in you know, in, in consistent with the Catholic teachings, which is that you go, you you shape them as compassionate humans who go out and and are compassionate and good to other people. And by the way, there's a right thing here and there's a wrong thing. And by the way, the right thing is we don't fire somebody simply because they're gay or lesbian. And by the way, we're Jesuits. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I just love that part. By the way, we're Jesuits, and you know. <laughs> and and we do our own thing, okay? And so, I, I mean, I just, I got to tell you, I just love that part. You know, um, so to give you an idea of how um, um, ideological all of this has come, uh, there's a Catholic website um, titled, uh, the name of the website is LifeSite, okay? Go, Matt, go figure. And they have created an online petition to pledge support for the Archbishop. The title of the petition is Support Arch- Archbishop Thompson for Stripping stripping the Catholic Label from Dissident Jesuit School. Sign our petition about, about, this, about this dissident Jesuit school. I mean, the Jesuits understand that what they're doing is they're protecting other. They do. You know, of course, this is ironic because uh, the church is, uh, excuse me, the school is named after um, after a saint, Jean de Bribruf, a Catholic missionary who died after developing a peaceful, loving relation, relationship with indigenous people in Canada. Um, he, was, he was murdered by um, other indigenous people other than those that he had befriended. Um, and so there's great irony here that the school is named after somebody who um, actually gave their life for trying to protect people who are other. So there you go. That school in Indianapolis, yeah, they're real idealistic too. So when we come back from our break, we'll do Reverend Dan Cullison. If you like what you hear, visit my website, italykrug.com. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. At Better Futures Minnesota, we transform the lives of men and support Minnesota's environment by working towards zero waste. Our approach reaffirms each man's dignity and supports self-sufficiency. Better Futures Minnesota is a work training model. 
through our reuse, retail warehouse, and supervised work crews with specialized in residential and commercial building deconstruction, property maintenance, appliance recycling, and janitorial services, we demonstrate ways to employ hire-to-employ men on a pathway to independence. Hire our work crews at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. And we're back on AM 950, listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Okay, so, um, you know, you got to love the Jesuits, as I said. Um, you know, um, you just have to love them. And, and I am so impressed with what's happening in Indiana, in Indianapolis. But now, for the big interview, um, I'm exceedingly even more impressed with um, the guests that we have here. Let me just do a very quick interview, or excuse me, preview of, of, of Reverend Dan Collison. So Reverend Dan Collison is the lead pastor at First Covenant Church in Minneapolis. He is also the director of the Downtown Partnerships for Minneapolis Downtown, the Minneapolis Downtown Council, and he's the executive director of the East Town Business Partnership and New Lope um, partners. Um, uh, Reverend uh, Dan, you're on the line. Is that right? I'm here and really pleased to be a part of your program, Ellie. Thank you for inviting me. Out. Well, well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I've been keeping, uh, you and I have met each other in the course of actually nothing to do with religion. Um, but uh, in terms of your business um, outreach for the Elliott Park uh, neighborhood where uh, we both live, um, or at least where your church is located and where I live. And um, I, I have been following what's going on. So let's at least quickly get the, the audience up to date on on what's happening. You are, as I said, the, the pastor, uh, the lead pastor of First Covenant Church, and you have had an ongoing dispute with um, your church leadership about um, your support of LGBTQ people. Do I have that right? That's correct. Okay. And if I was to sort of just quickly frame the larger narrative, I was called to be the pastor of First Covenant Church, Minneapolis, in 2009. And when invited in, the church was at the verge of bankruptcy. It had declined for 50 years. There was half a million dollar annual deficit. Um, the average age was in the mid 80s. You, now you're talking about your your particular parish, your physical building. Correct. Okay. So First Covenant yep. Church of Minneapolis. Okay. Our church was a historic church that was a part of a handful that formed this larger denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church. Um, First Covenant Church has 145th birthday this coming fall. The Evangelical Covenant Church is 134 years. And, you know, our church was one of the largest uh, for the first hundred years of the history of the denomination. And then, as with a lot of downtown and urban center churches, it just experienced a lot of decline. Uh, but I was called to revitalize. I was called to redevelop. And, you know, we leaned into the downtown in terms of, like, needing to be available to everyone who's there and to the themes and issues that were important to the community. Part of why I work in the business community now is because I first started volunteering for the local business association, and they said, help us work on homelessness. So then the church opened a shelter for those facing homelessness. Yep. Help us find more affordable housing. So we worked for seven years, and now we're building a $42 million affordable housing project. And all of those have arts. Can we have an arts group? So oh. We have a non-religious arts group. And oh, on hold, on, hold on a second. Hold on. I'm, I just want to make sure that our listeners understand where your church is, because if you go... 
up, is it up 7th Street by U.S. Bank Stadium? In between U.S. Bank Stadium and Hennepin Healthcare Hospital on 7th and Chicago. Yep. Um, so, there used to be a restaurant called Hubert's was the only sort of marker over there. It's now Eric the Red. There's been all this redevelopment. But yep. yeah, we're right between U.S. Bank Stadium and the hospital. And that's where that construction is going. There's a huge hole in the ground. And, yeah. And what are they building there for you? 169 units of affordable housing, so tax credit subsidized housing for people who are in 50 to 60 percent of area median income. Uh, applications are going to be received by the developer in August very soon. We're going to do grand opening in, in May of 2020. Okay, very exciting so, project. All right, so this is something that you helped in, uh, envision and help bring to the table as part of Correct. revitalizing your congregation, right? Yeah, All right. Uh, and part of how the church revitalized was that we actually now have eight, sometimes nine partnerships in our building who share space, who run programs around this, this integrating motif of the healing block. Okay, so uh, there, I just, I, and I'm going to just interject here a word, a name, okay? Jesus. Yeah, this, yeah. This would be the I kind would, of stuff yeah, that I, Jesus would be um, pretty much pro for. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. In in so many ways. I mean, in terms of solidarity with those who face marginalization, those who are reaching for more holistic lives, and also for this sense of work together. We all represent community across our differences. And where our church got sideways with our denomination, or at least some parts of our denomination, was that as we opened up all these conversations, well, how do we work on poverty? How do we work on those who face mental illness? How do we work on race, which is this painful but important conversation? How about gender equality? Well, right away, when we started in 2009 with this redevelopment, uh, including the LGBTQ community, was really important. I mean, it was actually, I would argue, uh, number one, uh, or in the top ten always, in terms of, well, can we participate? And as the laws began to change in the city and the state of Minnesota, uh, and the, our church was redeveloping, the majority of people who participated and who, who came and were drawn into this revitalization wanted equality as a hallmark. As I uh, begin then experiencing and leading in some of that push toward equality, I quickly learned that by majority the denomination did not favor it. And there were some uh, people... Of course, in our church, who struggle with it some. The denominational leaders and local denominational leaders uh, initially signaled that this was not really something they wanted to do or something they wanted to talk about. That you was a tough situation about, for me. About being more open to LGBTQ people. Right. And, okay. and the real nodding point came, there were two or three things that happened. One, I went to my local leader, my regional leader, and said, we need to talk about this. We need to press in. We need to create more space. And he just said, no, we actually aren't going to even have conversations because when people begin to have conversations, that's when they change their minds. Unbelievable. And I thought, now we're going to probably have some difficulties here. Unbelievable. I, no, I, you know, I'm not even going to talk about it because I don't want to run the risk that you're going to change my closed mind about LGBTQ yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, that was very difficult. Then when we had a young couple came out, um, a gay couple... They wanted to get married. We found a way to support them with a non-ordained person and doing the wedding off-site, but we supported them and included them. That's when things really began to heat up with our struggle with denominational leaders. And then a really interesting set of things happened. There were a lot of national folks in the Evangelical Covenant Church who had been wanting to hear more inclusion and more inclusion conversations take place. 
and me, like them, were lamenting that every time there would be, eventually there were dialogues, by the way, because after we supported the gay wedding, after we started having gay members uh, in our church and gay members on our staff, uh, then it became more of a national conversation. But every time they had a conversation, they would only hand the microphone to people who agreed with their, uh, their previously discerned position. Uh, which ultimately was another point of tension. This denomination has sort of prided itself in being able to disagree on positions, but yet staying together. And so we just were asking for permission to disagree and then to provide our local discernment of care for the LGBTQ community and our members of our community. And as time went on, over a five-year period of time, it just sort of intensified, where we kept on saying, uh, our history, the way we look at things, just let us disagree. And then those who were elected most recently and people in power chose to make make this the one defining statement. Like, we can disagree on anything, lir- virtually anything. We can disagree on almost anything, but this is the thing they're saying we can no longer disagree. And that, of course, was a grievance of ours and of, of a minority of the denomination. Um, and that's why, uh, ultimately, I was put on trial and the church was put on trial, and we were both kicked out uh, uh, 10 days ago. Okay, well, and we're going to get back to that in a second. Um, we need do need to take a break right now, um, and when we come back, I want to hear about getting kicked out. I hate that that happened, and I want to talk about you, um, uh, Reverend Dan Collison, um, the idealist. So, listeners, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we'll talk to Reverend Dan. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950, and we will and be back in a second. Thanks. I want to hold the hand inside you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. I'm Dr. Thomas Adams, President and CEO of Better Futures Minnesota. We're a social enterprise dedicated to rebuilding lives through housing, workforce development, health and family engagement, and coaching supports that give men the skills and relationships they need to succeed. Better Futures Minnesota engages men who had a history of incarceration, homelessness, poverty, untreated mental and physical health challenges to help them achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our enterprise. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. This is uh, your hostess with the mostest, Ellie Krug. We've been speaking with uh, Reverend uh, Dan Collison um, from 
the First Covenant Church in Minneapolis. Um, before we took our break, we still have Reverend Dan here. Reverend Dan, uh, before we took our break, you spoke about how the leadership of the Evangelical Covenant Church um, had gone so far as to now defrock you um, from um, its, I guess, its uh, services, its its membership, and to also defrock, if that's the right phrase, your church itself. So can you explain that for us, please? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah so, I mean, there's lots of language around this. Uh, stricken from the roster of churches, removed from the list of ordained pastors, excommunicated, thrown out. I mean, you can pick whatever word you want. For the first time in its 134-year history, they have uninvited, they have kicked out a pastor uh, and a church. The church part of that is actually most astonishing over what we would, accre- we would actually describe as disputable matters. And that's the tragedy in this. And I just want to say there's some wonderful people in the Evangelical Covenant Church, and 25% of the delegates and pastors voted for us, supported us, really tried to urge the larger group and the elected officials to not even put this on the docket. But those who were elected wanted to press in, and they wanted to make a statement. They wanted us gone. And then the majority of delegates supported that. It was painful, really. all took place in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, just uh, 10 days ago. Um, It was actually quite a fast process where you just run trial quickly. I had three meetings that ended up with my removing my ordination. The church had just one, like literally a 15-minute presentation to defend itself, and then a little back and forth, and they voted. And so uh, the process was uh, they only notified delegates maybe six weeks ahead. I think we'll eventually cause a set of conversations within the denomination, like what just happened and how did this come to be. But that is what it is. Uh, thankfully, um, the covenant organizes as independent churches. We're an independent church. We own our property. We have no debt. We're a young, thriving congregation, very entrepreneurial. And so we're covenant. I want to say that. Like the history of covenant goes back to the 1600s. Oh, for in sure. In Europe and in Sweden. Uh, we're just no longer evangelical covenant. And so okay. we will proceed. We will move ahead. And there's some other churches and pastors that are, we're organizing with and have a little group called the Covenant Collective. We'll see what happens uh-huh. with that. But. Well, because along with you, they they also disciplined and did they defrock uh, another uh, evangelical a covenant church minister who had performed a same-sex um, marriage uh, yes. here in Minneapolis, right? Yeah, Steve Armfield, Pastor Steve Armfield, yeah. has been in the covenant for 50 years, an esteemed pastor. He performed the wedding ceremony of his son. Right. Uh, they're Minneapolites. They're actually members of our church. That's an interesting connection to First Covenant. Uh, but yeah, they took his ordination as well, and uh, both him and I kind of went through the same, you know, process. Okay. Uh, and it was difficult. And we believe, again, sort of unfair and unprecedented. And that group is now going to be defined by this exclusion, which to me is a tragedy and a missed opportunity to frame this differently. So let me um, let me just uh, kind of do my own framing. So they bring you in in 2009 to, to really fix 
uh, what was a broken church. That's my phraseology. But, you know, you, you, you told me off the air, I mean, in 2009, you had about, about uh, 50 people attending services every Sunday and maybe 120 members. And now you've got somewhere in the vicinity of 150 people coming to your services and maybe four to 500 members at the church. Uh, they, you know, you had a, a bunch of debt, f- half a million bucks. You, you paid off that debt. You're debt free now. I mean, and then you've in- engineered all of these social service programs. Again, we're back to, I think that guy, Jesus really would have been pretty, pretty happy with all your work. Um, and so that leads me to this question, Reverend Dan, and, and that's why this show is about idealism. Why you? Why why, why are you the one that decided you were going to draw a line in the sand and that, that, and that um, if they crossed it, you know, all, you know, this was going to happen? Why? Well, I think that, you know, some people frame the discussion on human sexuality as this historic 2,000 years. We've never done this before, which, of course, right behind that is like gender equality and the incredible voice of women and, 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 and a sense of egalitarianism. And then we're only a couple hundred years from shifting consciousness on race. And so ultimately what we have here is a group of people who decided to retrench based on, well, we've never done this before. And it was my experience over this last decade and for my whole life. My family has given me a very rich and diverse experience of not only working in diverse populations, but working alongside those who, especially was younger, who had disabilities in a very important county-run farm back in rural Michigan. Like, difference and coming together across difference has been a life theme. I have an arts background, went to Interlock and Eastman School of Music before I went on to seminary stuff and pastoral work. And so coming to downtown for me was an awakening of, like, no, no, we need to do this. And part of our sense of collective discernment, and I want to say it was really the church, the leadership, and the staff who said, yes, we need to do this. If we're reinventing ourselves as a church, we need a firm foundation that everyone is welcome, everyone is included, and while this may be the newest of social conversations as a society, it is critically important that we do it well, do we do it right, even if we get thrown out of our denomination for doing so. Well, so there was a very generous spirit in the church as we became inclusive. Well, okay, but you just said a whole lot, okay, because you taking this stand, you, you wanting to have your church, the one in Minneapolis, <clears throat> be welcoming to LGBTQ people, that is heroic. That is courageous. And the reason for that is you put at risk pretty much everything that you've built. I mean, you went to school to, to be a pastor, to be involved with having a church. I mean, you've got financial risk here as well, and you've got reputational risk. And so, again, why you? Why are you the idealist? And by the way, you are quite the idealist. You're one of my heroes of this month, uh, maybe of this year. Um, why, why Dan Collison? I mean, what happened to you when you were a kid or in school or something that caused you to say, there's only so far I'm going to bend? Right. Well, it did begin in my earlier years, and my spouse, Holly, we've been married for 29 years, has articulated that we've led an inclusive life through the sweep of our life. I do feel like coming to downtown for me was a bit of a reset, and a chance after I finished my doctoral work to put into place and put into practice 
my deepest convictions of what I felt about Christian religion, yes, about the teachings of Jesus, that we don't just pick up the Bible as some flat sort of God, you know, this is God, but rather it's God speaking to it. And it's also a mirror to the human experience, and that Jesus is the center point. And with that being a guide, we lean into this movement, and I, I, Ellie, over these last 10 years, have got, I've had the privilege of getting to know so many lesbian and gay and transgender and bisexual women and men, and uh, just amazing people who leaned in, told me about their lives, uh, they told their stories, and ultimately, I even myself then sort of had to realign and that was my process of growth and change to become fully inclusive, not just my personal ethic, but then as a pastor of a church, uh, a part of a denomination that didn't have really a lot of safe space, but maybe they could work on it. Like We had to lean into that because I was able to align the philosophical, the theological, the, the church organizational way of doing this. And we did all of that. And part of why we now move ahead as uh, at least for now an independent church that's inclusive, is because we did that hard work. We picked up the Bible. We didn't put it down. We picked it up, and we worked on it. And we have a theological through line, and we picked up philosophy, and we picked up experience. And part of our grievance with the covenant is we're like, you need to get more psychologists involved in medicine and even talk to conservative gay Christians who are like, change therapy is harmful. Oh, my goodness, They didn't do that. They didn't bring in additional and diverse voices uh, they kept circling and closing and retrenching, and that's what you get. You get this standoff then where we move forward in joy and inclusion, and now they have to face this sense of pitting race against sexuality, pitting sexuality against the Bible. And to me, those are all tragic missed opportunities to actually bring reconciliation through all of those. So my heart yeah. was changed. My mind was changed by knowing people, seeing yeah. the joyful and wonderful nature and quality of my lesbian friends and my gay friends and members of our community who are incredible people that I will stand up for, even against strong winds in society and in the church. Well, you just said a mouthful. I mean, part of it is the power of human familiarity. That's what I teach about. That's what I train about. It is the power of human familiarity that gets us past all of our differences. It does. Um, and, and, and as you're speaking, I'm thinking, okay, this is a, a thing that is, you know, of gigantic proportions for you and for your church. But on the other hand, now you have freedom. Now I assume you can go marry uh, same-sex couples in your church. Am Absolutely. I, am I right about that? Now you no, can. No, absolutely right. And the church discerned that's where they wanted to go. That's arguably why we were thrown out, because the denominational leaders said, tell us what you think. So for nine months, we met in meetings, and we talked, and we brought this two-page statement forward. You can find it on our website, by the way, www.thenumber1stcov.org, firstcov.org. If you just Google First Covenant Minneapolis, yep. right now anyway, because our story went international, you'll probably find us uh, through just Google search. But we have our statements on there. Uh, and absolutely, there will be a commitment, and it will be an honor to perform gay weddings. And again, it's about equality. It's about providing the sacraments and the rights and the privileges and the pastoral care to everyone equally. And how has, the, how has your congregation taken this? I mean, are they 100% on board? Do you have some people that you're going to lose as a result of this? 
Most of those who disagree with the direction moved on years ago. Okay. Uh, I have long said 2016 was an important year. We became sustainable and we became resonant around hmm. inclusion, as I've been talking about it. The last couple of years, as we now knew, the denomination was poising itself to maybe, maybe kick us out. Now we know they would, and they did. Uh, there were a few more folks who had been longtime people in the covenant. But interestingly, we have a famous historian. We have someone who's former head of the seminary. We have ton, uh, covenant cross-cultural mission workers. I mean, we have, we have all these people who have been in the covenant for decades who are here. They yep. didn't want to see it, but now that it's happened, they actually are committed more than ever that the idea of covenant transcends evangelical covenant. The idea right. of covenant is not to be let go. We can both move forward with our history that dates back to the 1600s, and we can embrace and now move more freely into what we believe is the right way to hold and shape Christian community. Well, we have just one minute left, and I just want to point out one thing, Reverend Dan, is my last point, and that is this. It is about leadership. It is about modeling. It is about bringing people along. That's what an idealist does. I mean, they and they press ahead against tremendous opposition uh, very often. And, and at times, idealists um, lose their lives as a result of, of their fundamental belief in, in wanting to change the world for a better place. I just want to just say to you, Thank you. Thank you for protecting me. Thank you for protecting my community and speaking out for us. Thank you for helping humans. I mean, my goodness, with all the work that your church is doing. And I, um, I look forward to what m even greater things you're going to accomplish now, now that the yoke of religious oppression has been removed. I, I, I so look forward to it. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for the way you frame this practical idealism. Uh, it's been an honor and a privilege um, knowing all these things, and even as painful as last week was or 10 days ago yeah. was, I would do it again, and it is for all the reasons you say. So it's an honor. It's a privilege to be here and to be on your show and be a part of your movement. Oh, well, thank you, and, and just good luck to you, and let me know whatever I can do to help you, and I'm very serious about that, okay? Thank you so much. Okay, well, listeners, we've been speaking with one heck of an idealist, Reverend Dan Cullison from First Covenant Church in Minneapolis. Um, please go check out their website, learn about them, maybe even go to them, okay? You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950. When we come back from our break, uh, we'll do my C block where I'll talk a little bit about my work. By the way, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Uh, please follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. That's my handle because I am trying to get my Twitter followership up and we'll be back in a minute. Thanks. At Better Futures Minnesota, we believe everyone deserves a fair shot. We believe in personal redemption and second chances and that those who are dedicated to change and hard work should have the opportunity to achieve success and make a positive impact in the community. The men we embrace and serve have made mistakes, but they aren't bad people. We work with men who take responsibility for their past and are committed to doing better, who work to create a better life for themselves, their family, and the community. 
Learn more at betterfuturesminnesota.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Branding electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. We're back on AM 950. Um, all right. So Reverend Dan, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, it was, you know, I'm, I'm on break. I'm on sabbatical. Okay. I am not supposed to be doing anything except working on my book, which I'll talk about in a second. But uh, when I read about uh, the dispute that... Um, uh, Reverend Dan had going on with uh, the greater denomination. And then, of course, um, heard that he was at risk of being defrocked and then found that he was defrocked. I'm like, nope, we're going to, we got to have a conversation. We've got to have him on my show and we need to talk about his idealism and his idealistic nature. <clears throat> I, you know, his his leadership, his standing out for people will ripple to other humans in countless ways. And it's ironic. You defrock him and now, and his church, and now they have all the freedom in the world to actually be good to humans without having to try and fit into some kind of pre, preordained bottle, religious bottle or framework. So there you go. All right, C-Block here. Let me talk about my work, okay? And so I have been on sabbatical. Many of you know that I've written a book, a memoir, Getting to Ellen, a memoir about love, honesty, and gender change. That was the whole title. It's a long title. Um, the book is available at Kindle Amazon Nook, um, in Majors and Quinn in uh, Uptown uh, Minneapolis, um, and you know Apple Books, uh, all of that stuff. And uh, the book came out in 2013, and then I needed to um, take a break for a little bit. But then, because I'm a writer, I continued to write, and I wrote dip, drips and drabs of various things. But I just never could get get the horsepower or the bandwidth to really get the book going in the way that it needed to go. And so, beginning uh, in July, uh, maybe uh, June 30th, actually, was the day that I really sat down and started to write, I have been writing every day, um, somewhere in the vicinity of a thousand to 2000 words a day, um, and pulling in from my pre-existing stuff. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I've got 18,000 words right now. We're up to five chapters in the book and I've got to tell you, I am a writer. I mean, I, 
You know, I, 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 the thing that I just love is, is trying to build something. And as a writer, when you're trying to write a book, I mean, I don't have this big long outline that I've gone through and, and, you know, and, and it's, a 10 page outline and I know where I'm going. No, actually I don't. I I'm just kind of doing this by the seat of my pants. Hopefully the book won't reflect seat of the pants and that it will be as well received as my first book. But the second book is the second installment of my memoir. So this is going to be titled being Ellen colon. Um, and I, the, I think the second part is going to be, I think a newly minted woman takes on the world, but we will see. Um, I've got to work on that second part of the title, but certainly the first part of the title will be Being Ellen, since the first book was Getting to Ellen. And so, um, and in order to do this, to do this work, I had to go read my first book over again. And so I did that. I have not, that was since the 13 that I'd ever read the book. And I've got to tell you, I'd forgotten some things that I wrote. Um, I was actually quite impressed with the quality of the writing, frankly. Um, so I just need to say that I, I didn't know that I could write that well. And, and also, um, I was reminded about the loss and what it took. I mean, I had forgotten, maybe, you know, tuned out, maybe blocked in my, my memory banks, a lot of the pain that it took for me to get to where I am right now. And so I've got to tell you, it did affect me. I was like, oh boy. And I had a couple of sleepless nights after reading that book again. But don't worry, I'm good. I'm on the saddle. I'm in the saddle, um, on the horse and um, going forward, trying to write about what it's like to make my way through the world now is Ellie Krug, where formerly I had lived and presented my presented as a male for almost 52 years. And now for 10 years, been presenting as female. How is the world different? How, how, what are you finding, El? And on top of that, it's about me being an idealist. So, I mean, I'm writing about the work that I do. I'm, I'm writing about the people that I'm finding. I'm writing, who knows, maybe Reverend Dan will show up in my book. I have no idea. But what I know I am doing is I need to get this book done, okay? Because this is a bucket list thing. It has to get done. It's important for me to get it out there because I know that even though I'm transgender and that's, you know, really what part of what being Ellen is, I just know that there are a lot of people out there, whether you're trans or not, or gay or lesbian or bisexual, whatever you are, there are just a lot of people trying to make sense of the world and trying to understand how to connect some dots, trying to understand how to deal with trauma, trying to understand what it means to be alone, because I am, and how do we deal with that? In a world where everybody on Facebook seems to be so happy, seems to have a partner. Oh, look at what we did. Look at the trip that we just took. Look at our family pictures. All of us, how happy we are. Yeah. So my book is going to, you know, talk about what it means not to have that. Okay. And um, tied into that is the background that had I not transitioned, I probably would have had all of that. So, um, but by the way, I had to be me and there were, there's no regret there. So anyway, okay. Well, anyway, look forward to the book. Hopefully I will get it written um, or most of it. And hopefully it will be published uh, by this time next year. 
um, or at least the fall of no later than the fall of 2020. And I want to do a big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis and Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. Uh, check out their website at betterfuturesminnesota.org. Um, and um, and I, I want to do a big shout out and thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who is the best in the world and who protects me <laughs> when I need it. And listeners, please check me out. I love hearing from you. Email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. Tell me what you like about the show or what you don't like. Also, please visit my website at elliekrug.com and follow me on social media, including Twitter. The handle is at Ellie Krug. I'll be back in August. Bye. <laughs>